good morning. Welcome to The Old School, a podcast about a host of things, not least of which education and all things related to that. And I am joined in my endeavor with Dr. Stephen Bourgeois. Good morning, Dr. Bourgeois. Here, Miller. It's, it's good to see you there wearing a soccer hat from some unknown European country, it looks like. A very known European country. It's orange, so that should be the clue for any international soccer fan. It is a Dutch hat. And so it's the official colors, the official emblem, and no one knows what it is. And that's fine. I know what it is. It's great. So, so you purchased that on Amazon and, and set to show off. Is that what you did? No, I bought it there, <laughs> well, which is strange because Euros don't wear hats. That's actually the first sign that you're an American. If you're walking down the street in any street in Europe, you're wearing a hat. They know you're an American because it's just, it's just what we do. I didn't you know? know that. Yeah. We win revolutionary wars and we wear hats. And so this is, this is what we do. So um, today we are very lucky to have Dr. Rick Westfall. He is a man of some renown. He has hit nearly every stage of the education ladder that you can possibly think of, starting with a math teacher, where he and I were first acquainted. And then he's all, he's risen all the way up to superintendent, now working for an architectural firm, VLK, as an education consultant. Good morning, Dr. Westfall. Good morning. And and uh, first rule of the game is Rick. Yes. <laughs> As a point of introduction, though, to kind of keep the, I the kind of keep the esteem. I just wanted to be sure we threw that out there. And the also, <laughs> as we were talking about your Dutch hat, I'm wondering, did you update your room to match your hat? I mean, you're very well accessorized. Um, I know people can't people can't see it in this podcast, but you know, it's it, you match Ross. You match your room. I did. I didn't think about it, but now that you, <laughs> that you say something, yeah, I guess it. Now, to be fair, the orange on the wall was meant to be a Tuscan sun color. And so perhaps not, you know, if you were down at Sherman Williams, these would not be the same colors, but close enough that they indeed do match. For the sake of a low quality Zoom link, you know, hey, they match. <laughs> now, Miami, is that Miami of Ohio? Yes, sir. Is that where you went to yes, school? Sir. Yes, sir. Right. That's my undergrad. Um, I'm actually originally from Ohio. Oh. So I've lived now in Texas longer than Ohio. So my wife um, insists that I'm a Texan now, but you know. So is that what you have to say when, when you're introduced? I'm from Texas or do you still cling on to Ohio? Oh, I'm from Ohio. Yeah, I'm from Ohio. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Now, given that Ohio is fairly close to the Midwest, you might, or I guess, would you it say is Ohio Midwest. is the Midwest? Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So you might be able to answer something for me. So a couple, about a month ago, Steve and I did a series of episodes, two episodes on sandwiches. And it, it was a, it was based off a list, like the sandwich mm -hmm. most identifiable for each state. Sure. And I'm not, I'm not here to bring up sandwiches again. It's an old episode. It's, it met with dubious uh, receptions, but since then, I ran into two of what I can only describe are culinary abominations. Oh my! Okay, I already know what you're going to say, but go ahead. I'm going to let you. I'm going to let you pick at this thread, but I'm. <laughs> but I know what you. I already know what you're going to say. Go ahead. Okay. Um, if you do know, that would be pretty incredible. But here we go. So the first one I came across this on a website called Gastro Obscura, 
Mm. And it it was in Sedalia, Missouri. And okay, yeah. the only it's a Sedalia, Missouri is a podunk little town about an hour. Well, not it's, they're nice people, but it's about an hour southwest of Jefferson City. Okay. Or as the cool kids say, Jeff City. And so at this place, they had a burger called the Goober Burger that included everything that you might think would be on a burger patty with mayonnaise, lettuce, tomatoes, signature toppings. And then on top of that, a slab of peanut butter. Disgusting. That's what that's what I. Okay, I'm zero for one so far. I did not. I did not have that as one of your abominations. I thought, I thought you were going to Ohio somehow and, and blaming this on them. I know. That's right. Well, I'm, no, I'm really I... trying to figure out his his. Uh, this is actually good for me because I'm going to understand better the the path we're going to take in this podcast. If he's just going to randomly wander through the wilderness, that, that, for a that's while. how Ross does it. I, I'm, I'm more linear. <laughs> okay, I got you. I got you. So anyway, so there's that abomination. And I was kind of prepared for that because I had students that that dipped French fries in chocolate shakes. And so I kind of already knew that there was this element of people out there. But lest you think that this is simply the product of a bunch of drunken, bored Midwesterners on a Friday night grabbing a drink at the local come and go gas station, I now turn your attention to a place called, um, make sure I get this name right. Um, it's in Pennsylvania, and the place in Pennsylvania is Gerardville, and they have a burger called, this is a place called Tony's, you know, it's a burger with raw onions, spicy chili sauce, cheese, a pat of butter, and then a layer of fluff marshmallow. It, it, we've never had this silence on our show before. I'm going to shake our heads <laughs> no. uh, collectively. Uh-huh. Um, I don't it, know. I'm open that, to. Yeah, I mean, the, the, without the the, we're just making calls. stuff up. Yeah, we're we're getting, but this is just crazy. I'm I'm surprised if you're <laughs> to bring this up to this so early uh, in a broadcast. Here's here's well, okay. Here's what I'll attribute it to. Okay. You ready for this? This is my, this would be my hunch. So you mentioned Missouri and you mentioned Pennsylvania. Yes. Uh, let's, let's all be honest about the fact that we started in Ohio somehow and you ended up in Missouri and Pennsylvania, but that's for another conversation. Yes. So it gets really cold up there. And there's a good chance that at some point in time, someone was in their house and they said, listen, I'm not going out. It's way too stinking cold up here. We're just going to make a sandwich out of whatever it is we have. And we had some ground beef, we had some vegetables, and oh, by the way, we got a jar of marshmallow spread or whatever it was you said. And born is the sandwich that sounds disgusting. There you it's go. undignified is what it is. <laughs> My goodness. Wow. Who knows? So we're here ostensibly to talk about Dr. Westfall. Rick has had an incredible career. Ending your your last uh, uh, porter call uh, as superintendent, but I'm curious about your current role because you're working with VOK. Is that correct? Yes. And that is as an education consultant, which I assume because I think VOK does a lot with regards to building schools. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. They're primarily a um, their primary work is K twelve facility planning. Okay. 
So where does a person of your experience help a company like VLK? So the technical title that they've come up with is educational planner. That's the that's the role that we we have in the company. And the company is is a statewide company. So they've got offices in Fort Worth, Dallas, Austin, San Antonio, Houston. Um, and the role that they have uh, very geniusly landed on and and it, they didn't start with me they didn't this has been a role that's been in their company now for um seven or eight years um has been the assistance in the concept of how do you go out to communities how do you go out to districts and you talk about facilities and you talk about growth and you talk about all of the you know the logistics of um building out a school district but then lost in that conversation can be at times, how does that impact education? How does that impact the instructional day? How does that impact teachers? How does that impact kids on a day in day out basis? Um, and bringing in educators, bringing in, in this case, this is the first move into retired superintendents. How, how, how does the conversation evolve into helping them design the buildings that are most appropriate for communities based on the experiences that we have seen, whether, you know, as you guys know, not every experience is great, a great experience. So you learn from the good experiences and you learn from the bad experiences and you try to um, fine tune that a little bit, but that's the, you know, I, I consider myself the translator um, <laughs> when educators are saying certain things and architects are trying to figure out what the heck it means, then, then you've got to go between now um that can help help translate that piece. So the the role of a, a superintendent moves very quickly out of instructional leadership. You spend a lot of time with facilities and things like that. So you probably develop some expertise so you could do that translating. Yeah, and it really it was even before the role of the superintendent. I mean, it's you know in the in the role I had prior to uh, in a different district, it was as a essentially as a deputy superintendent, and, and you dive into those same conversations when you're in the middle of uh, building, because you you need as many, well, you don't need too many voices in the room, but you need as many people in the room who can sit and think about even the smallest detail that, that could then have a ripple effect into um, other areas. And it's, I'll just use this as an example. So I've only been in the job for a couple of weeks. Um, so, you know, still trying to figure out my way, figure out what this role really, really looks like. And I was in the office uh, a couple of da couple days ago. And one of the principal, it's funny, Ross, they're called principals. So I, you know, at least I can figure out and remember that name, but it's not the principal of the school. Um, so <laughs> principals in charge were picking my brain about something like, hey, would you mind looking at this layout? We're trying to figure out for Fort Worth ISD on an expansion in one of their middle schools. We, we, we can't quite figure out how to lay out their administration uh, wing wing. It's, that sounds like it's big. Um, and they couldn't get all the, it was like Tetris. I mean, you could, they couldn't get everything where they wanted to get it and where they felt like it needed to be. And we spent about an hour just looking at it, moving things around. And I finally, I finally just said, I was like, well, you know what the issue is? The issue that's hanging this whole thing up is the toilet's in the wrong spot. If we move <laughs> that toilet to a different spot, wow. it's going to free up other areas and it's going to be a little more private for where that toilet is. And, and the minute we moved that one little piece, it was like everything else just came into play. And But the, it was never even a thought that they had had because they were looking at it as a, as a design phase. They wanted two toilets. And how right. do you save money? 
you make sure all the plumbing's going to the same spot. Well, my thought was to separate them and it might cost a little bit more money, but it made more sense on the layout of the rest of the, of the space. So it's, it's that kind of experience that they said, where's the best place for the principal's office? Well, you needed to move other things to get it out of the way in order to get the best place for the principal's office. And only a person with education experience can relay the anguish of a misplaced bathroom. <laughs> this is what I'm saying. I mean, people might laugh at that, but you you know that full well. <laughs> wow. Well, um, I, I, you talk about facilities. Uh, I immediately think about athletics and, and do they sure. build big scale things like that as well? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, they've been really involved in some pretty significant well, I'm trying to think through in terms of just the, the Metroplex area. I know they, they have built or rebuilt uh, Denton High School, uh, and it is just a, a massive facility with lots of different um, uh, athletic facilities. They just got done finishing up, uh, pretty close to finishing up the Keller um, bond that I was involved in there, um, where we got up to speed with other uh, area districts and, you know, building the indoor extracurricular facilities for both band and athletics. And I mean, just they will, it could be anywhere from renovations of buildings to brand new buildings, to teardowns and rebuilds, to we have to put a new AC unit on top of the building. I mean, they, they, their hands in everything. So how much of this goes towards some of the education philosophy about what a building looks like because I, I I recall the last school I was at when they did a major renovation I think the first um, first thing I heard about it the first I heard about the various plans had to do with like movable walls glass classrooms it seemed to have like this almost Montessori like notion of just kind of wide open spaces and what have you how much of that is a part of this or is this is this a much more kind of a practical uh endeavor that the company is doing no it's you just hit it on the head so one of the one of the steps you know once a, a an architectural firm is selected if, if vlk is selected for a particular uh job or a particular district where we step in as educational planners is really on the very front end is we go in and we're interviewing administration we're interviewing district level people we're asking them about their curriculum and instruction we're asking them about their expectations for um what kind of instructional models are they trying to tackle and then that speaks into well then what kind of spaces do you need in order to accomplish what you're trying to trying to accomplish for your students because you know, it, I, I've been trying to I've been trying to work through a phrase in my head, and I'll just experiment with it with with you guys and see if it if it works. But you know, it, it can be said that a building, it a building's not going to teach a kid. Obviously, that's kind of the obvious uh, statement. But a building can absolutely get in the way of teaching a kid. You you can you can be misdesigned, and and it doesn't create the spaces that you need in order to properly educate students when you get outside of the traditional you know like Ross when you think about the classes you were you were teaching you would have taught give, give me 35 desks and you know I don't care what room I'm in you know kind of thing but there's some of these other specialized areas that really need unique and thoughtful um, classroom spaces it 
it can be problematic. That's the reason why you get the conversations with teachers, man, if I could just tear down this wall or if I could just move this here or whatever, well then that that's that element of conversation that you need to have when you're building those buildings. So that there are common spaces within buildings that are probably sure. play into that. And, um, but I, 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 can you talk about building security? Is that part of, I mean, just <laughs> oh, yeah. laid out. Yeah, that's all part of it. You know, the unfortunately, it, it, it's a it's a bigger part of the conversation than anybody really wants it to be. Right. Um, but that's the world we're in uh, right now. The uh, there's a lot of re- so one of the challenges with that, Steve, is is there is we do our best to follow the research and follow best practice. But when the research is butting heads against each other, depending on what angle they're coming at it. It's it's hard to say, well, this is the exact right answer, because at the end of the day, for school security, there is no exact right answer. It It's just again, it's unfortunate. I tell I tell our community when I was talking to him about school security or talking to him about how do you better, uh, quote unquote, harden the schools to to make things safer. And at the end of the day, if you're not having it, that some part of the conversation is if someone. Evil truly wants to get into a, an area and do harm there there is literally nothing that you can say with 100 certainty will always work but you can do everything you can do to mitigate you can do everything you can do to prevent and then to have action steps after the fact if it does happen so some of it's building some of it's training some of it's you know practice um but you know like just as an example the secure entry vestibules that are the you know, the big piece where you have to go through at least two or three, two or three layers of doors before you ever even get into the building. Um, you know, some of these older buildings, you go into some of these districts, you, you walk in the front door and you're in. I mean, you're you have the expectation to go into the reception area, but you don't have to. I mean, it's there's nothing requiring it. So, you know, those are the pieces that the that schools have to think about and consider that's where money is now going to have to go that otherwise might have gone to something else. But the priority is you got to keep everybody in the building has to feel safe. Um, and that's the number one priority of of keeping people safe when they're creating these structures. Well, well some of the existing buildings are, are, are you just adapt it and you make, make additions, but I'm thinking, yep. you, know, in, you mentioned Ohio. Um, I taught at a school in Newark, Ohio and, uh, Newark High School, and and it mm. was basically a campus type arrangement where we there were about six buildings and a, a campus and people walking around. Um, that doesn't lend itself to much, nope. you know. Maybe that you can have a door to the front office, but these other places are, you know, are independent and very much uh, vulnerable. There's a I won't mention the district name, but there is a district in this metroplex that has a high school that's exactly that. And they, in fact, they just went through a bond where they're going to they have to re really reconfigure an entire high school that was built as a community college, basically, right. with multiple buildings into how do you get everybody under one roof? I mean, and that's a massive overhaul. That's a massive project. Beyond the notion of security, which always kind of looms large in people's conversations, especially of late. Um, I hesitate to use the word trend because trend makes it sound capricious and something that's not perhaps in the long term relevant. But in this in the time that you spent with 
this company. Uh, is there are there other things that you see developing that could be emblematic of schools of the future going forward as far as new schools being built? So it's an interesting question, Ross, because I one of the things before I started, and I've only been there for two weeks, so I haven't really dug into the what are the designs of new schools look like. Um, I'll see that probably in the next couple of weeks. But one of the one of the things I was considering is that when we sit in the year 2024 and we sit down with a group of administrators, a group of educators, and we design a building, is that design going to make sense in 2054? Wow. Or or let, let's let's say it differently. Is that design going to make sense even let's not go out 30 years? Is that design going to make sense one when one principal leaves and another principal comes in and they have a different vision for what they want to do in their in their building? Um, you know, maybe one principal understands or or has the need for big collaboration spaces where they see um teachers get putting classrooms together and having big, you know, group. Uh, debate or group at lecture opportunities where they can have different conversations based on the curriculum or based on the lesson. Okay, great. So you have those collaboration spaces that you have that are kind of wide open spaces. But, uh, you know, the next principal comes in and says, listen, I know I need a space where I can stick a group of kids to test. And they're very, you know, they're more pragmatic. They're more, um, they they have a, a different se- concrete sequential path to to student success. Um, and they might totally repurpose those spaces. They might put walls up, fake walls, you know, bring in dividers and, and end up using the spaces for what they were never really intended to be used for. So to me, that's the challenge of school design is how how do you create a space that makes sense not only for right now and the next three years and when it's being built, but how do you create a space that's going to last, that not last like stand up, but last being used the way it's intended to be used how many hey did, did either of you ever go through the uh school process of the open concept school uh fl- flesh it out yes. what, what would you how would you define that literally no walls <laughs> oh <laughs> boy you... <laughs> no we haven't i don't think i don't speak for us but... i remember i'm gonna age myself i remember a middle school that i went to and they experimented with the open concept where you would walk into in, into general open spaces and then you would go into these different wings and then teachers would have their desks. They'd have their teaching kind of station, but it, you didn't walk through a door to get in. It was just they were there. They were open. And then here was the next group of desks and teachers. And every one of those teachers found rolling bulletin boards and rolling dividers and created their own rooms, even though it wasn't intended to be created mm-hmm. because they just, they needed their, their space. And that was a, at the time, a, a, apparently an educational thought that that should be something that should be great. But as it turns out, it really wasn't. I think it's an example sometimes of what is old is new again, because I went to an elementary school uh, that was that was a little bit like that, where they had like a traditional part of the school that apparently had been built in the early 60s or what have you. And then they did an add-on in the early 70s. And it seems like they went all in on the open concept notion. And and I don't know if they thought that their brand of elementary students were going to be able to handle this level (laughs) of spatial freedom or not. But it did, did, 
in much like what happened in your middle school, I think the teachers ended up creating the rooms, uh, right. even though that was not the intent. And yet you still see it. It still kind of comes up from time to time. Um, is that is that a little bit of what you're talking about? Yeah. Um, and you're right. You hear different um, words for for certain educational innovation. But if you do a little bit of homework, it probably isn't necessarily all that innovative. It's just more the innovation is the different word. Um, mm. More people have just forgotten that it was done 20 or 30 years ago, and now it's come back around full circle. So, it, I mean, it, it is there's a lot of truth to that. And and again, that's where you have to create. So in going back to one of your statements you made, Ross, about the um, movable walls, um, that's a solution to building something that could could open itself up to one thought or collaboration space without making it a permanent collaboration space. Because if the wall is movable and you can close it down, now you can create back to that more traditional um, space that that some people are, are better used to. So it, it, it creates opportunities for flexibility of instructional models inside of the building when you start creating spaces like that. Well, the the teacher probably likes to have control of their space. It's just part of yeah. part of their world, their power, their well being to be able to manipulate that. Um, I do a lot of work with charter schools, and a lot of them are in temporary spaces, uh, even yep. churches where they don't get the rooms. I mean, they use it for a day and then they clean it out, and then. <laughs> um, but the but there's something about nesting. For a, a teacher, that that's the word. I, that's actually the word I use, Steve. I oh, use yeah. that term, nesting. Yep, yep. It's a. It's interesting though, because at the collegiate level, right? Professors don't have their own rooms. They have a an office or they have a a workspace, but then they are assigned rooms as needed. That's right. They and just walk in, walk in and deal with what's right. in front of them. That's right. And we talked about this before. Uh, one in terms of floating, which uh, I want you. I don't know if you remember. I floated when we were sharing the same school building, and yes, and then um, and then, but then also, you know, our experiences in Germany, the kids stay in the classroom, and it's the teachers that move uh-huh. from room to room, and so it, it is kind of interesting to think about how does that change the psychology of a school if it's the teachers moving as opposed to the students. How does that affect or hinder? Like you, like as you said, I mean, a, a school can't teach a kid, but it can certainly stop it from happening. You know, right. so yeah, I think you know, so much of it is what's ingrained in in the in the in the professional's mind as what is the right way to do it. Um, if you build a building, let's just say you build a building that was um, modeled after kind of a collegiate model, where you create space that has teacher where they have their space. It's just not the classroom. They've got, they've got their landing spot. Um, and then they just go are, and then are assigned to classrooms throughout the day. If you think about that from a, an efficiency perspective, um, you can actually create less classrooms by doing that because in theory, every classroom can be used every period of the day versus if a teacher owns a classroom, short of people floating in and out, if, if, if that's the, that's the need. But even with floating teachers, not every classroom is used every single period of every every single day. You have 
teachers sitting in their classroom, 800 square foot classrooms for one period with no kids in it. So could you build a building with less classrooms, saving money and saving the taxpayer money if you create a space and maybe it doesn't save money because now you got to create a different space, but creating a space where teachers now have a spot to, to collaborate, to work together, to have their own little cubicle area um, when they're on their conferences. I mean, it, it's it's possible, but how many teachers want to do that? Because in their mindset, they're like, no, I got my spot. I got my I, I've got my posters. I've got my you know, I have to have everything on the on the walls the right way in order to um to fulfill the my style of instruction. And I think there's a lot of teachers that would just be like, yeah, I'm not, I mean, I'll go work, but I'm not going to work at that building. As a superintendent, what kind of things would pop in your mind when an architectural company would present? And maybe this, and you know, we talked about this in terms of what you've already kind of uh, contributed in your new job. But maybe something that the average person wouldn't know about as far as as superintendent, you get architectural plans. What, what kind of considerations do typical school districts have to keep in mind when they kind of put the call out for these ideas? Well, that's the that's part of the fun. And and when I like when we went through it in our process, we went through a, a bond planning process and. Um, what I would always tell the group that we would have collected together to help design these buildings is I would I would tell them, you you are not in the business from the educators or parents or community members. You're not in the business of of deciding what works and what doesn't work. You're in the business of telling us what you think you need for instruction. And so dream as big as you want to dream. Just mm-hmm. put it put it out there. The worst thing that can happen is you hear no or it doesn't work. Um and it was hard for people because they would start thinking through, well, you know, this logically just can't work. So there's no reason to put that idea down. And what I would tell them is you you have to let the designers, you have to let the architects, you have to let the professionals look at your ideas because they might be able to make it work. So don't rule something out just because you think it can't work. And so what I would, going back to your question, Ross, the, one of the pieces would be, us saying, hey, it would be great to have, I don't know, this pod of classrooms look a certain way. Well, then the architects have to take a look at that and say, okay, well, that's that's a great idea in, in magic land, but it doesn't work when you actually have to start making buildings stand up or you have to avoid having curved glass or you have to avoid, you know, or or here's this new code that has now been, that that has come out that we have to follow, or here's a new set of TEA, Texas Education Agency, uh, guidelines and regulations that we have to follow. I mean, you rely on the architects and the designers to know that stuff um, so they can then come back and say, here's what you wanted. Here's the nitty gritty requirements. Now let's see how you can actually blend those two things together to to come close to the, to the design. Well, it, it, it's great that you've been on both sides and um what what's your impression right now? I mean, it seems like you get kind of the you, you don't have a lot of stress in what you're doing, or because <laughs> you were in a stressful position. Let's face it. But you yep, have, yep. I mean, any you don't have the public. Uh, you have you know a small group talking to. How does it feel? Um, I will tell you that what I will tell what I've told every other person. You don't 
and this is true in many jobs and many professions, you don't know what stress you get used to carrying until you're not carrying the stress anymore. And you, and you, it's kind of like the analogy I was using with someone for anybody that, you know, has any degree of knowledge about baseball. You know, you look at the guy on the on deck circle and generally when they're warming up, they're warming up with a bat, but they're warming up with a bat with an extra weight on it in order for, and then once you take that weight off, it's all of a sudden, oh my gosh, I can't believe how easy it is to swing this thing. When that weight comes off, it's amazing how what the what the difference is and what the difference just for your own, you know, personal life and and just benefits to health is is when that when that's stress. But you don't realize you're even carrying it because you just get used to it. Um so to answer your question, um it's nice to be able to be in the middle of conversations and then I'm here on a weekend doing a podcast and I don't really all that other stuff, like I had to wait till Monday. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sitting here thinking about whether or not my phone's going to blow up about something or if I've got to make a decision about, you know, calling a bad weather day on a on a day when it's just really cold. And, you know. <laughs> oh, well, let's um, you, go ahead, Ross. Well, no, it's interesting you mentioned that because one of the questions and, and, and this may temporarily sidetrack us a little bit, but I was always curious about at what point do you think you could uh, target a particular time and a moment in time when your kids realized you had the power to call off school <laughs> because of weather? <laughs> oh, your own kids. So, yeah. Yeah. Are you talking about pers- personal family? Yeah, your yeah, your kids. So I, I am lucky enough. I have one child. Um, he is uh, going to graduate from A and M this this May and and finishing everything up. Um, he never, I never was in charge of any building or district that he went to, <laughs> which was probably <laughs> a good thing. Conflict of interest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But what was, what's funny about it is had, as he, so I, I ended up becoming the superintendent when he was a junior in high school and you know, he just, it's, I'm just dad. I, you know, whatever he doesn't even, that didn't even make any, that didn't move the needle. Um, but when he started, when he started interacting with different people and they would have conversations with them about what my job was, and then he started putting the pieces together of, oh, wait a minute, you mean you tell me you're, you're in conversation with a superintendent over in Northwest ISD and you guys are deciding whether or not you're going to have school. Um, you know, th- there, there is a moment of that element of, I had some inside information that I was able to give him that other, <laughs> that other people might not have. Wow. Um, well, um, I, I have to say this on, on a personal note. I have a, I have, I have a smile to son is at AM also, mm. class of, of 24. And uh, that, that there, there's something to be said about uh, the, the leadership that you develop, you know, in a, a place like that. Yes. And I, I know we're, we're wrapping up. I don't, I don't want to let you go without talking a little bit about leadership because sure. we, we lead in whatever context. And, and so give us a little bit about your philosophy and how you can carry that to what you're doing right now. Um, you know, the mantra that I always would tell, whether it was in front of a, uh, a room full of teachers in a building or if it was in front of an entire school district at a convocation, and I would always be sure to make sure people understood that it, it is never about 
the position. It's never about the title. It's always about you lead wherever you're put. You lead where you lead where you are. And if if you go about your life in a shell without thinking that you ha- don't ha- you're not having impact on someone or or a group of people, then you're missing opportunities. Um, and leadership doesn't have to be grand and glorious and come with a spotlight. Um, leadership can be as simple as, well, leadership could be as simple as me walking over into someone's cubicle two days ago and saying, Hey, the toilet's in the wrong spot. You know I mean? It, it's, it, it is the willingness to engage in conversations and the willingness to listen. And I think that's probably the biggest piece of leadership. Um, and not feeling the need to always interject with anything until you've really processed and can can provide thoughtful feedback to help people grow and help people move in a direction that they feel like they need to move. Um, and 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 every, literally every single person in any role that they're in can do that. Absolutely. Well, um, we're 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 planning seeds. We'd love to talk to you about a lot of things. You know. And- sure. Um, and we, we, we wanted to ask you broad questions about education, but in a way, this is a great introduction. Um, and, and I can just see so many different uh, avenues. Um, but um, what, what would be interesting to you? And I just, just kind of sh- shoot at a few topics that have been on your mind uh, in general. We don't need to flesh them out. Well, if you want to get me on a soapbox, we can talk about state level opinions of you know, how they're handling public ed. Please. So that on the list. Couple podcasts. Yeah, put that on the list. I got it. <laughs> You're writing this you know, down. I mean, it's just it, 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 there. Yeah, I mean, you could go down all kinds of, of rabbit holes with that one. Um, but you know, and anything. What you'll find from me and Ross, again, Ross knows me, uh, but Steve, you'll, what you'll learn from me is that, as I've said before, I'm an open book. I'm going to, if if we want to go down a path and a, a random question that pops into your mind and I've got something that I can contribute, then great. I'll, I'll contribute. Fantastic. All right. Well, uh, with that, uh, we have uh, a weekend to look forward to, football to look forward to. And uh, what's your picks? So, Who's your picks? Um, so, so this is gonna be kind of odd because the people will be able to know right away if we're right because this is actually, I think, going to air in a couple weeks. But uh, I'm gonna say because I'm a dreamer, Buccaneers, uh, whoa, 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 49ers. Well, you, you have the pro, you have the appropriate color for the Buccaneers, <laughs> that's right, Buccaneers, 49ers, Bills, and Ravens. I think Ravens 49ers in the Super Bowl. Where yeah. do you go? So I said it. Bam. Now I'm a Packer fan from I I was born in Michigan and my father from Wisconsin. So I came back, but honestly, I'm not one of those fair weather. I almost wore the, the shirt today, the I have a Packer shirt, but but um I, again, I same know, color scheme. So yeah, but I, I know better than to bet on the team that I love. Because you know, technically speaking, San Francisco should win that game, and the Lions. Yes. Let's be clear; they're they're going to win that game because they're at home and they're playing really, really well. Um, I, I wouldn't bet on the Chiefs and the Bills. That's 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 a scary one. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and then the Bulls, Aaron. 
Ravens are, are going to be in the Super Bowl. Period. So that's the there. I laid it out. Um, Rick, what are your what are your thoughts? All right. So here are my thoughts. My thoughts are the Ravens are going to lose to the Texans because oh. C.J. Stroud, the Buckeye extraordinaire, <laughs> is going to throw for five hundred yards on the Ravens. Okay. <laughs> and I'm fully I'm fully aware this is being recorded and it will be giggled at in two yes. weeks. That's now. Um, that's right. <laughs> That's right. He's worried about your um, reputation at this point, though. So, I mean, well, just... you know, so I, I you know, I've got to be because, you know, being from Ohio, you know, even though I didn't go to Ohio State, I, I was born and bred to be a uh, Ohio State fan. So um, oh, but Steve, I was born actually in Michigan. I just really? didn't stay there long enough to really, you know, grab hold of it. So. All right. So the Texans with the upset. The Packers are going to. The Packers have to win. They, they've got to win. The 49ers Packers. and no, I like this. I want to hear why. What, what what's your what's your hunch on the Packers? Well, if I I've got the games correct, don't I? The Packers are playing. Yeah, yeah they're playing up at San Francisco. Oh, oh, my bad. My bad. I had a mixed up. No, no, no. Okay. The 49ers are going to win, not the Packers. Okay. Yeah, no, that, that was that was a horrible pick. The Lions are going to beat the Buccaneers. I had the Packers playing okay. the Buccaneers. Okay. Yeah, no, no. Yeah, that's that's the only way the, the 49ers lose is if Brock Purdy just blows another knee out or something. I mean, he's. That's right. They're, he's, like they're, they're just too bats. good. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's right. let's be honest. That's probably the reason why they didn't make it to the Super Bowl last year yeah. was because Brock Purdy was hurt. Okay. So, so we're, we pretty much agree except for Ross's strange pick there with uh, Tampa Bay. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, yeah, because I'm totally off the rails with the Texans pick over the. Yeah, that, yeah I didn't want to even bring that up again, but well, I'll bring it up again. <laughs> I'll make sure you know that. And I'm going to pick the bills over the chiefs, but okay. you know, I think every man has the right to be a dreamer at least once. Listen, Ross has his dreaming team. He thinks the Buccaneers are going to win. You know, my dreaming team is the, is the Texans because of, because of Stroud. They're definitely yeah. not. Uh, they, they look like a, world beater last week i mean they couldn't be contained <laughs> but it's like the bucks you have to consider who they're playing you know so we just uh take that for whatever grain of salt you wish but uh, uh, anyway well, so all right well i guess we'll we'll see what we'll see uh next time <laughs> we come together uh until then uh, i should say i do hair dr westfall and hair dr bourgeois so long everybody i'll be just saying rick thank you this is fun Thank you. Appreciate it.